Clover gives you the power to run a smarter, faster restaurant. See everything in real time with the kitchen display system. Streamline takeout and delivery with online ordering. With the right tech, quick service is getting even quicker. Clover, accept payments, run your business, and sell more. For a limited time only, visit Clover.com to get a $450 statement credit on qualified hardware purchases. That's www.clover.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to Wins Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network with Van Burnett and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back, everybody. It is Wins Above Fantasy, episode 120. Today is Thursday, October 5th, which means it is our first show since the end of the regular season. So a happy playoffs to all of our listeners tuning in. And Steve, happy offseason for us. Uh, I know this is our final show before we'll switch to the every other week format, Uh, but we've got a a good one ahead of us here doing the year end recap and really a good month ahead as well. We're getting already getting the uh, too early mock draft going with pitcher list. It starts tomorrow, so that will be a blast. And just in general, checking a little playoffs, getting into some of the full season stat lines. It's exciting, man. This is uh, like step one. It's like the first day of school, but uh, it's it's the first day of off-season prep. We start formulating our opinions. Can't wait, man. How's it going? Yeah, it's exciting. Um, before we started doing this and before I started writing and podcasting for Picture List, it was always like a, a, a point where you know, the fantasy season is over and it's upsetting. You have to wait all this way till March to, to draft again. But now that we do do this and we'll do it every other week now here in the off season. Um, and we have like mock draft season. Nick just sent out a message tonight to everyone uh, that we're going to get started on those. So look forward for those on the site, on the across several different podcasts and platforms on, on picture list. So, um, I think his twenty four. I think his twenty twenty four pitcher list like early rankings come out for the pitchers like tomorrow as well. So keep an eye out for Nick's article. If not tomorrow, like sometime later this week. So yeah, it is very exciting. Yeah, it's it was more you know when I wasn't doing this it was kind of like depressing, but we we kind of hinted at it too a bunch throughout like August and September. Like it's an exciting time to like regroup. This is a great episode. I love doing this and looking back at the wider lessons learned and trends and takeaways that, that we've learned from, from this year and sort of went on. And um, I think I, I sort of hit to that too, that I kind of want to pay attention to, to these initial takeaways later on in draft season too, right? Because you're so close and so fresh to um, the data that you're going to use the most heavily, which is the 2023 stat results, right? Um, I know that recency bias is, is, is a thing that needs to be balanced as well, but 
we're never going to have a better graphs on this information, at least, you know, without dissecting it or, or you know, doing what a, a, you know, modeling or whatever else goes on with that. Not, not, not in that sense, but we're never going to be closer to it literally and figuratively in a way. So it's a, it's a fun point and um, definitely going to try to remember a lot of these trends and, and market changes that sort of went on that we, that we highlight here. Um, and keep them in mind for next draft season. Excited to dig into it already. Yeah, it's very timely, and it's also very fun because this is the time of year where your your opinions are kind of least uh, swayed by like the public and yeah. what you see that's yeah. out There's there. There's no ADP. We don't have ADP yet. No. I haven't looked at an ADP. It's great. And you know, there will be soon. But right, and I, I know, like jokingly, Steve, when when we we we'll take a, a victory lap. We're no stranger to a victory lap. But we certainly miss as well. However, it, it's there's examples in the past where this time of year we've been high on guys that ended up being great the following year. And I know we we're kind of wallowing in the fact that like, oh, if we wouldn't have gotten like talked out of some of these guys, like we were so in on Christian Walker at the start of last offseason, Justin Steele, and then for whatever reason we like started to move away as as you know other people kind of uh, got hotter. As the price goes up, training. as exactly. someone pokes holes in them, you know, yep, there, exactly. there's a million reasons to to fade away from those guys. We don't have any of those reasons, at least yet. Yeah, so it's fun, it's wide open, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a great off season. You guys can, can stick with us, like we've said a couple times, every other Thursday. So we'll have next week off, then we'll be back on. Of course, as always, you guys can follow us on Twitter at WinsAbovePod. I'm at Van underscore Verified. Steve is at Stav8818. And this time of year would be much appreciated if you guys could go out, give us a rating and review on wherever you listen to your podcast. goes a long way. But Steve, we've got this kind of broken out into some different year-end recap topics. So this is not the chalkboard. This is not the bold predictions review where we look at me and Steve's picks for the year. This one is much higher level, kind of looking across the league. And we're starting in in our first section here by looking at some interesting trends. And, you know, we can keep this loose in terms of where we take some of the discussion, pull up some some leaderboards, things like that. But it was a weird year for baseball. And, I mean, definitely an exciting year. But coming into the season, you know, there there was a lot of changes, whether it was – you know, reducing or quote unquote eliminating the shift. Uh, there was the the base running rules. They've continued to kind of tinker with the ball and the humidor and offense down last year. What were they going to do? So this year is kind of extra interesting to see what some of these league wide stat trends were. So what we did for this is just pulled up baseball reference kind of full season numbers. They've got a nice list where you can look at year-over-year league-wide stats, which is fun. You go back to 2019 and you see the rabbit ball home run number spike, for instance. But uh, this was pretty much looking at from last year, meaning 2022, to this year, 2023, what were some of the the changes? And some of this should kind of, you know, make you nod your head and say, yeah, we heard that all year, or you could tell that these stats were going up, these stats were going down. But to kind of jump right in, we saw batting average go up, Steve, from a league-wide average of 243 all the way up to 248, which is pretty significant, a five-point jump. 
And again, we mentioned the, uh, the, the, the shift being an impact for this. Uh, the other thing that's not noted here, but BABIP actually climbed league-wide from 290 to 297. So that's definitely following the trend. But just interesting. I mean, we, we know Arias was way up there on batting average. I think Yandy Diaz was the, the AL batting title winner with like a 230 and change or a 330 and change. So uh, overall batting average up quite a bit, which I think just we probably need to recalibrate when we see a guy who's a 250 hitter. Last year, that actually was an impressive batting average. And this year, that's about what it should feel like, which is bang average. But not sure if you got any thoughts on on average. I guess just to lump in the second ratio, OPS was up quite a bit from a 706 OPS league-wide in 2023 or 2022 up to 734. So up uh, about 28 points there, which is pretty significant. A lot of that's because of the power. But when you look at these two kind of batting average up, OPS up, any uh, immediate thoughts or takeaways on these two? Um, I, I think that the takeaway is that um, we were pretty good at analyzing we being like the fantasy baseball players um, and just like baseball analysts in general. We're pretty good at taking a guess at what the, the rule changes were going to impact and how they were going to impact them, uh, how they were going to impact like league-wide totals. Um, you know, there was a bit of a hesitation. It's like, all right, Kyle Schwarber isn't going to be like a 250 hitter now because of the shift, um, you know, uh, or like all lefties now are, are just not, are going to be 300 hitters that weren't in the past. And that's kind of reflective. Yes, five points is a big difference, but it's not like the league average jumped up like 15 points or something like that. Um, as far as like the OPS and then Homer totals and stuff, I think a lot of that is secondary effects of the pitch clock. I think that plays a really big deal. Um, mm. I think that, you know, pitchers aren't able to take their time, um, especially the runners on base. It's a lot harder to control the run game, a lot harder to, you know, um, focus on that and the batter um now with that so i think that that's a secondary effect um clearly i you know i don't trust baseball at all when it comes to the ball i think that they probably tried to find a more hitter friendly ball that wasn't the rabbit ball from 2019 um i i think that may be the case but hey also maybe the pitch clock plays into that a little bit too um just because pitchers you know fatigue a little bit quicker they're not able to just sit there and like rest until they're able to throw 100 every time again um and then to kind of go into the to list here more like steals way up uh there was an article from tango tiger uh the the mark tango uh tom tango um of of mlb he is he runs baseball savant um and is the brains behind the operation he had a prediction in march that stolen bases would be up 40 percent because of these rules and Stolen bases were exactly like 40.6%. It was insane how he was able to calculate and come to that prediction. Um, he is a super, super smart guy. Yeah. Um, wow. So uh, it, it just shout out to Tom uh, for, for making that unbelievable call. Uh, he tweeted about it this week. Um, but, yeah, and, and I think that I wonder if pitchers will get better 
at 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 controlling the run game with the pitch clock. Um, the fact that you're limited in the amount of times to throw over, and that you know, you see a lot of guys like, oh, he's got to get rid of the ball. He's got to get rid of the ball. Like, if you if you if the if the runner times the pitch clock with one, you know, that's that's it's almost like a a cheat code to when you can get a jump, right? Like if a pitcher is running it down to zero, you could just run when it, the clock says one, right? Yep. Um, you know, if you time that up, so that's really really hard to to adjust. So maybe pitchers and catchers will get a little bit better at 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 controlling the run game, but I don't I don't think much. And I think that that's what baseball wanted. I think it accomplished it. Like the steal was back, and the steal is awesome. Well, now uh, easy, I'm glad Steve, because you're ju- you're jumping all the way ahead to, sp- to yes. steals here. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. you're good. I'm just I I had a little nerd bomb nugget to throw out on the on the average because i you know i'm an average guy i'm an average human but i'm also a batting average guy (laughs) and i wanted to ask about this in particular because what caught me is average moving up five points when you look at like this year versus last year something that's kind of interesting is that despite this year being a higher league-wide average there was le- there were less guys this year that hit above 300 there were less guys this year that hit above 280 but then when you when you slide it down to guys who hit 270 or more there were more this year than last year so i'm just kind of wondering like maybe that's just splitting hairs and looking at stuff that has you know natural noise volatility but like i wonder if something in in the data here is kind of suggesting that because of the rules, bad hitters are more likely to become okay or good hitters as opposed Rather to Rather than like good hitters becoming amazing average. Hitters. Yeah. Kind of what the theory was for, for guys that would be helped with speed. Cause that was definitely a theory for a while of like, Oh, the guys that are really going to benefit are the ones that get like five to 10 steals. I, th- I think it was the opposite with steals, exactly. right? Like there was, was the more. Top, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I don't know if it's worth like reading into that because there were also five guys who hit pretty much 330 or higher if you count Corey Seager at 327. But it's, it's just kind of interesting looking at the numbers. Like there was a larger swath of guys that hit between 270 and 280. Um, yeah, well, it wasn't like, you know, the, the 270 hitters were bumped up to 280, 290, something like that. So it's interesting. I don't know what to, to really make of it just because batting averages kind of noisy pretty fickle yeah in my mind right like um you know just because one guy there's so much variance in batting average i guess uh i I wouldn't be surprised if it was something a different shape next year um Mm -hmm. yeah i mean the only thing looking at the list like i guess you, you've got you've got Arias who for two straight seasons you have Freddie Freeman who's pretty much a lock. Um, you've got I guess let me look where uh, yeah because I mean like Yandy Diaz for instance who has holes in his profile for sure he's never gonna get you like plus plus power certainly not speed but this is now two years in a row where he's hit either three hundred or like three thirty. So just, I guess, maybe if you were trying to squint at, like, an approach as for some of these elite guys, is it an extra bump knowing how volatile it is for everyone else? I don't know. I'm just trying to 
see if there's a takeaway here on average, but it's a good point that there's a lot of, of instances out there where one season it's 280, the next it's 320, and it's it's hard mm-hmm. to really make sense of when that's going to happen. But I don't know. No, interesting, interesting all around, and I think that that was another thing the league wanted to accomplish. I still think that they they want the strikeout rate to go down a little bit and maybe bring batting average up a little bit that way, but that's yeah, a much balls much harder play. thing to do yeah. now that everyone's uh, throwing a hundred and people are swinging for the fences. Um, but you know, with steals, you know, maybe maybe singles are more valuable. Um, and players' approaches will will change, right? Like, I don't know if approaches are going to change in just one season to 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 the rule changes, but over the next few years, as 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 players come through the minors, and you know, we, we talked about with the launch or you know the launch angle revolution, it. It slowly happened over time, right? Because players in the minors then adapted this and became these slugging, low-average guys. But now as these rules change, as players come through the minors, maybe the average hitter who can steal a ton of bases becomes more valuable and teams don't steer away from that sort of player build. And and, and that's what comes up. So um, interesting in the short and long term yeah uh, yeah and there were a few instances where we talked about players finding success from being a little bit less selective at the plate like a Juan Soto for instance names like that so yeah and and worth noting I mean you mentioned it strikeouts up that's something we don't have on here but that was maybe one of the only positive pitcher percentage point I think yeah yeah pitching points is, is strikeouts went up and it you know kind of begs the question of uh, maybe with the the shift rule like do they view that as their best shot so they're okay throwing that breaker out of the zone on a full count things like that because they don't want the ball in play but yeah some speculation there let's shift to what what I held you off on there which is steals and home runs which these are really the the sexy bread and butter five by five stats Home runs were up this year, notably from uh, 5215, so 5215 homers last year, to 5868 home runs, so uh, way up. And I think the home run to fly ball percent raised like one percentage point from like a 12 league wide up to 13. So uh, yeah, definitely moved up in terms of uh, the actual sluggers. Uh, we talked about uh, like the 40 homer club, right? And last year in 2022, there were just four guys, Aaron Judge with 62, Schwarber with 46, Trout with 40, and Pete Alonzo with 40. This year, that went up to six guys who were who were in the 40 homer club. Matt Olson leading the way with 54, Kyle Schwarber with 47. So back to back there for Schwarber on that list. Pete Alonzo made the list twice in a row there with 46. Otani 44, Acuna 41, and Ozuna 40 this year. So uh, homers and then steals, uh, Steve, if you want to jump back into it, probably the most notable thing there with steals, steals climbed up from a 2486 number last year to 3503, uh, which is just crazy. So floor is open there, but homers up, steals up. It seems like this is what the league wanted uh, and curious if there's if there's fantasy implications here. 
Yeah, I, I think that the league is trying, like I said before, the league is trying to find a ball that isn't the 2019 rabbit ball, but does have, uh, you know, some bounce to it. And I, I think that this year wasn't anything super crazy, but it wasn't also like the dead ball from last year. What, there was like 600 more homers this year. I think that was probably around what the league was looking for. Um, I, and until I'm convinced otherwise, like it's the ball, like that's the only variance And yes, more players are, are swinging for the fences, but, um, I, I think that that has a lot to do with it in, in, in the ball. Um, steals. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I'm glad it's back and part of our game. Like this was, it was awesome to, to see these guys and these high end players steal this many bases. It's, it was a lost art and I'm really glad that the rule changes had this effect. So, um, I'm all for it. I think it's a, a great part of our game and where it was kind of like a frustrating thing in the years before, like, or, you know, anyone that ran was a amazing bonus, but, now it's it, it it's 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 prominent in our game again. I think that makes the, both real baseball and fantasy baseball a better sport. Um, I, I I don't know if the approach changes right because there's still a lot of high end guys. You know, um, mm-hmm. like the fact that Estuary Reese had 67 steals, like he's still That's a crazy. one category guy. Yeah. Like yeah. You know, he would have been a 40 steel guy in relative. It would have been the same sort of, you know, um, player. It just now that <laughs> there's a cool 67 next to his name uh, for steals there. So, um, yeah, may, maybe maybe I would bump those guys up, especially the guys that could do more than one category. Um, because like we said earlier, it really did seem like it impacted the elite guys. And it wasn't like the guys going from five went to 15 a few did but there seemed to be more cases of guys going from 40 to or you know 25 to 35 right 25 to 40 well yeah and we just kind of rattled off the the 40 homer club the 40 steel club in 2022 was just one guy john birdie had 41 steals this year there were six guys acuna with the 73 it's crazy astori ruiz had 67. I mean, everyone talked so much about Acuna. I think I was sleeping on just how high Ruiz got with the 67. And then he had Corbin Carroll with 54. Bobby Witt damn near hit the the 50 mark with 49. C.J. Abrams, 47. And Nico Horner with 43. Uh, But yeah, what jumped out at me, Steve, in terms, I mean, I, I think we'll in real time maybe have to figure out what the analysis means for it. But steals, like you mentioned, up like... 40% 40% from from basically 2,500 to 3,500. So then I, I took a gander at like the caught stealing metrics as well to see if that spiked up. And the fact that caught stealing was only up from 811 to 866, I just could not believe that like 55 out of 811, that's like a 6% increase. So overall, steals moves up 40%. Caught stealing only moved up 6%. To me, that screams like this could be even more mm-hmm. in the future. Like you mentioned, the pitchers might kind of you know, adjust, but I think also people might look up and see what like Acuna did. And I'm trying to look at more people can realize that they can go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I know this was part of my bold prediction for 
Randy Rosarena. I forget what it was. I think it was like 40-40 or something, and he didn't do that anything close. But uh, I was looking at the caught stealing as an indicator of who was going to go this year, like who was going to run with the full green light. And now I'm kind of looking at caught stealing on the other direction of like who stole a lot of bags this year but didn't get caught as much. And could that mean they could really go nuts? For example, like Bobby Witt ran 40 or stole 49 bases, but he got, he led the league in caught stealing with 15. So not mm-hmm. the best success rate, but like just mentioned Nico Horner, who's in that 40 steal club with 43 steals. He only got caught seven times. So if I'm Horner and I'm the Cubs, I'm looking up saying like, yeah, like, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's go for guys like, plus. um, I think, uh, Trey Turner was 30 for 30. I think um, Lindor was like 31 for 34. Yeah. So, like, maybe those guys could could go a little more. I know they're kind of, like, more on the the superstar end with big contracts, and they may not have the incentive to put up, like, crazy totals. But You're right. maybe they can go a little more with how good they've been. Well, and what about, like, my, would you be my shocked? My steal bolt. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just no, going to go say, would you be shocked, like, for all the the ways he's blown us away so far, Shohei Otani not pitching. I mean, he, he he ran a lot more too, right? He he stole 20 bases, but he only got caught six times. Like if you doubled those attempts, he would look pretty much in line with what Bobby Witt did. And it's like, maybe Otani goes off for like, and if he's not pitching, like maybe he wants to find another way to provide some value. Like he could do it. That's what I'm saying. It would be an amazing, the best sprint speed in the league. Yeah. (laughs) It would be such an on brand thing for Otani to just shock us all in a different way. Um, but were you going to throw out some other names? So no, um, like just a hint and we are going to get to our bold prediction recap, but the one of the two that I think I did hit on, was that the 40 Steel Club would have four members for the first time, I think it's like 2013 or something like that, and we got six. So it was closer than I thought. I thought that maybe, like, midway through the season, I thought a lot more. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, like 10 people are going to have 40 Steels. Yeah. But uh, it, it did pass it by two. Yeah, uh, that's it. But that's that just goes to show you. I think I think it was, I have to, I'll have to look at it, but I think it was – there ha- there weren't 40, four, 40 steel guys since like 2013 or something crazy like that. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, just looking kind of at that, back to the, the caught stealing steals and guys that jump out. Corbin Carroll with his 54 steals, caught stealing just mm-hmm. five times. Uh, Willie Castro with the Twins, 33 stolen bases, caught just five times. So these are some names. Even Jose Ramirez, 28 steals, caught just six times. Like... I think those are some names where I'm just thinking like that's a pretty good success rate and why not run Kyle Tucker, 30 steals, five caught steals. So yeah, those are, those are interesting ones. And overall, I mean, it obviously means in Roto, you have to jack up the number of steals. Like there's going to be articles off all off season about like, you know, the base number of steals you need to get. But when you look at this leaderboard, Steve, of steals and it's like there are 18 guys that hit the 30 mark do you need like two guys that are projected for 30 steals or more if you want to lead your league in steals yeah if you want to be towards the top yeah Mm. yeah and i'm just because if if one 
team has, you know, if, Re- if Stewart Reese is rosterable next year all year, like that's one roster spot that's going to have 60, 70 steals. And then who, whoever else, you know, I know, I know we sort we sort of said that there aren't many guys that went from like five to 10, but there probably are a lot more guys that have five now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, so. the, the list goes much deeper than in past seasons. I mean, you have to get to the, you know, to the, third page to get under yeah like a guy steals. like you know like just thinking like a guy like i think like nick castellanos had like nine or ten steals you know yeah um, 51 guys had 20 steals or more yeah like that is yeah. it's been yeah. a he had 11 time. he had 11 so um you know there, there there's there's a lot more steals going around like all around yeah all right uh just to round out this segment with uh some of the trends got to talk about pitching steve where the league-wide ERA rose from a 3.9 league average ERA up to 4.26. That is beyond significant. I mean, the amount of times we look at like a any pretty much four, right? Like you look at an ERA that's above four and you're like, oh, that's not a good ERA. Like a a 4.10 ERA was was just fine. So I don't know uh, where some guys landed who were like high strikeouts and, and like, low fours ERA, but that was above average. And then whip uh, from 127 to 132 on league average. So again, I think there was just uh, one, maybe two guys who had a sub one whip this year. Uh, Garrett Cole was one of them. The other one's not coming to me off the top, but yeah, pitching a big, big regression. And I don't know if, I mean, I know that there's already uh, a lot of, commentary out there nick pollock just had a a twitter thread showing kind of how volatile early pitchers were uh talking about how of the top 31 pitchers chosen like uh i think only a third of them pitched more than 24 starts like things like that but i'm kind of curious because we're seeing pitching kind of the glob right move back to the middle so much is, are there going to be guys out there who go for a strategy of like pocket aces with a Garrett Cole, Spencer Strider on the turn? And despite your philosophy of waiting on starting pitching, if you go early, is that is that a strategy you could see working out of like a Cole Strider at like back end of the first round, first pick of the second round type of thing? I think um, it's a good point. Um, and Eno Saris brought it up on the most recent Rates and Barrels, like, Everyone's looking at these individual rule changes and how they're going to impact steals, how they're going to impact batting average. But it, there, there wasn't anything. It's like, oh wait, like runs are going to go way up and ERA is going to go way up because of all this. Like all of those rules were in favor of the offense. And what do you know? The ERA went up, you know, point three six. Right? Um, whip went up point five. Point uh, uh, five. Um, so. It's it's surprising, and also it shouldn't have been surprising. We're going to get into it a bit later. There, yeah, uh, I have a, a diatribe uh, on starting pitchers. Right. But you are right. Like The better pitchers are going to be much more valuable, and therefore I think the top, top end of safer aces are going to be a more expensive and more sought-off uh, commodity. I think you are right. 
for sure. And it's like it's it is a tough game to play. Like we would have said, Brandon Woodruff was as safe as it gets this year, and obviously that didn't work out with the the injury, and he kind of re injured that shoulder. So that's going to be something we talk about all off season. But for some reason, it seems like while we're maybe not to that era of like Kluber, Scherzer, you know, Degrom, Kershaw, like that that you know Mount Rushmore of pitchers. It does seem like Garrett Cole and Strider feel different than the rest, at least in my own head. So I could see people doing that strategy and then waiting a long, long time to get that SP3 and just hammering bats. But yeah, that would be a a risky strategy for sure. Uh, We have our biggest bus, which we'll try to group, and our biggest values, which gets into kind of what you're talking about, Steve, with the pitching. But we're going to take our first ad break and we'll be right back. All right, so Steve talking bus, and this was a pretty pretty basic structure, right? We were looking at March ADP next to the Rasball Player Raider year end, and there's almost a whole subcategory that's injury guys, right? Because it's it's hard to put too much analysis into like the Mike Trout, the Jordan Alvarez guy, like Jazz Chisholm. I think we probably could discuss some of the injury risks going into it, like. You know that Judge uh, has potential there. Degrom certainly. Bieber, there were question marks with like the velocity. Yeah, they're, they're and bust stuff. because they got hurt, right? Like that's yeah. kind of, and they got hurt because maybe they're a little bit more injury prone, and they, they should be more risk averse or less risk averse. I forget which way that goes, uh, but whatever. Uh, Avoiding risk, and, and there sure. is analysis to do there. I don't just want to brush it off, but I, I think it, it's more valuable to sort play you know focus on the quote-unquote bus that did play most of the season yeah yeah i think the blanket statement that. is that a lot of the guys who you kind of thought this could be risky the the risk didn't pay off from a health standpoint so mm-hmm. take that for what it is going into early prep for next year uh but this the way we kind of grouped this first mm-hmm. bucket steve was the first round range and we have vlad Bo Bichette, and manny machado whose ADP were all kind of at the tail end of the first round. Vlad at 11, Bichette 13 and change, Machado 13 and, and change. And Vlad's Rasball player raider was 82nd. Bo Bichette's player raider was a rank of 104 and Machado at 86. So none of them really like killed you, killed you. But certainly when you're looking at a first round pick, you want at least like a top 50, top 30 return you know, a guy that missed like a Jose Ramirez still ended up giving you like a top 30, 35 return. And these guys were far off the pace there. Uh, so like, how do you, I know they're all different players, their own cases, but like when you look at this group, like what are the the learnings? I mean, do you focus on track record? Bichette was kind of uh, a shorter run of being a first round guy. Um you know, would that bring cause for a guy like Bobby Witt, things like that? I'm just curious when you look at these guys, do we give them a free pass? Do we just, you know, slightly bump them down because it's one year? Or what are the takeaways from these guys missing as bad as they did? With Machado, I think it might be the easiest. He did. It came out that he was battling tennis elbow all off all season. Um, Machado's a guy who, like, never even goes on the IL. He's like, takes pride in playing all the time. Um, and I think he had surgery like as soon as the season was over. So 
can kind of understand that from that perspective. Um, though I think he is entering his age 30 or 31 season now and we're coming off offseason elbow surgery. So a bit concerning there. Um, but at, at least that's a bit of a story. Um, he always, always plays hurt. And sometimes it's helpful. Um, I know last year he had that gruesome ankle injury. And like, it, uh, like, like when, it, when you watched it, it looks like he was going to be like out for months, if not the year. And like he missed like, 10 days and everyone on the IL and like everyone's like, yeah, he probably should have been out for like two months. It's, it's crazy how tough that guy is. Um, Bichette too, battling a bit of injuries, not as surprising. Like, you know, we saw the ups and downs last year with Bichette, um, had that amazing September to sort of save his season and get a lot of draft helium. And maybe that's a bit of a lesson learned that, uh, <laughs> so much stock shouldn't have been put into that, uh, that, that super hot finish. Um, Vlad is probably the biggest bust for me and the most surprising. Like I would have thought Vlad's floor is like top 30, 40 hit a player, right? Like mm-hmm. you could have told me like he would have had it down here and it would have been like 280, 25 homers, 90, 90 or something like that. But, you know, I guess that probably was a little close to did I did I just like rip off his stat line? No, like, no. So two sixty four, uh, the average yeah, is down yeah, quite yeah. a bit. Twenty six, and homers. he did hit a few homers the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah twenty six homers and the and then uh, seventy eight runs. And for some reason, Savant doesn't like RBIs. Uh, ninety four RBIs. So like the counting RBIs. stats were okay. I think the average on a year where yeah, I mean a seven eighty eight OPS. I would have thought it down here for for uh, Vlad OPS wise, you know, would have been more closer to last year, like an eight eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I know there was a, a totally new player um, and, and the breakout happened, but if you look at his overall stat lines, like 2021 looks like an outlier. Like his OPS by year, um, and again, I, I know you don't want to put too much stock into those first two years when he came up and struggled, but it's 770, 772, 791, 1002, 818, 788. Like the 1002 in 2021 is the extreme outlier. Um, I don't know. I, I still find it hard to be fully out on Vlad, and like I think if he does fall. To like the back end of the second round or something like I'm going to be tempted to take him just because the batted ball data is all there it looks super unlucky this year like I don't have an answer for why Vlad struggled as much as he did this year uh, yeah that, like that, everything he everything that he did well did well like all of his quality contact plus the you know everything that we always scream for the mountaintops like you know, hit the ball in the air more less ground balls like barrel the ball more he did it. The results just weren't there. So it's just a strange, strange year, but still, I think the most disappointing for me. Yeah, I, I agree, Steve. That like the launch angle spiked up, which is what we wanted. Uh, the the kind of hard contact, soft contact, like none of it looked jarring. Like looking at everything, the biggest thing is it. You would guess is luck related that his home run to fly ball rate was fourteen point five percent. The year prior, it was 20%. In 2021, it was 26.5%. So for how hard he hits the ball, 
you just wouldn't expect that to be as low as it is, like just above league average. Um, so I, I think I am buying the dip here on Vlad. Just 24 years old. I, I like just want to peek at Babip real quick. Yeah, the Babip was a 277, and it's been 289, 313. So I think there's definitely signs for a bounce back. It's just you need that, and you're probably going to have to pay for that, right? Because, you know, he won't last to the middle of the third round or anything. So you, you probably are drafting him at a 280-30 homer rate anyway because the steals, another thing is he had eight steals in 2022, and we were like, oh, maybe Vlad could, with the new environment, get up to like 13-14. It went backwards to five steals. So, yeah, it's uh, – it's going to be very tempting, and I'm probably with you, Steve, that I'll I'll be one to jump in at, like, the 2-3 turn if he makes it that far. Uh, Machado is, is a little bit – he's a tough one for me. Like, you mentioned the age, but also, like, he's starting to get a, a little bit of a reputation in my books of, like, up and down and up and down because, you know, even going back to rabbit ball year – he had a he had a 256 average and then 304 and then 278 and then 298 and now 258 and it's just like what's true talent there like uh, yeah you can Yeah, just, what are you going to get? Yeah, you can put yeah. something in the middle and be like, "Oh, he's a 280 guy," but then it's like, "Is he or is he a 300 guy or a 255 guy depending on the season?" And that's a little risky for like second round. I mean, that said, when you're battling an injury and you still hit 30 homers, it's hard to complain, but then just yeah, the three I, steals. I, I guess a lot of that too could be like whether or not since he does play through everything, like is he playing through something that is going to prevent him from being that 300 two true town hitter and just play through and be a 255 hitter and you're going to get the bad Manny Machado? Or is he going to be relatively healthy and then hit close to 300? Yeah. Um, which is sort of a, a risk that you take with a guy who just stays on the field no matter what he's battling. Yeah, and I, I think we look at Machado as like, uh, you know, kind of like a better Lindor and that he helps in a lot of areas, but like he, he might not be elite in a single category. But the thing I want to call into question is that like in a year where steals were up so much, he had three steals. He had nine the season before, 12 the season before, six, five. Like, I just don't know that we can count on him for much more than you would for like a I don't know, like like a Vlad. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see where the ADP falls with Machado. But my gut says I would actually roll the dice with Vlad before Machado, and I don't think I'll be interested in Machado until like the mid to back of round three, and that might be too I don't late. Know if he's gonna, and yeah, I don't know if he's gonna last there. But I I agree with that analysis. Yeah, I guess position's the only other thing because Machado is yes. the. The 3B, which is uh, different than some of those other names. So, uh, Next group we had, Steve, was pricey catchers. I know we'll both be kind of singing from the same book on this one, but uh, Real Muto, his ADP was 27. Rasball player rater, 151. So that one did not pay off. Dalton Varsho, next catcher, ADP 38. Player rater had him finishing at 224. Sal Perez, one of your fades, I believe, on the chalkboard, ADP 63, player rater at 186. So the pricey catchers did not pay off. I think Adley came after this group, and Adley was good, but not great. 
He didn't return exact on his value, but he did better than the three of these guys. Uh, anything to add here? I mean, the, I don't know that it's going to change our philosophy that we're probably not interested in catchers until like, you know, the middle of the middle class type of thing. Like we were talking with Cal Raleigh, guys like that. But what are your thoughts on uh, catchers? No, I, I think it's I think so too. I, I mean, Will Smith, even for his standards, had a bit of a, a, a down season. Um, I know he got hurt and um, real after a really hot start and didn't really bounce back. And then some of the names that people really like too, um, like MJ Melendez was not good. Um, you know, the value came from like later end guys like William Contreras. Uh, Cal Riley, Jonah Heim, Yainer Diaz, um, twenty three homers at two eighty two. Kieber yeah. Ruiz was 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 pretty good. Uh, Mitch Carver down the stretch. Uh, Sean Murphy after the amazing first half, I think he hit like sub two hundred in the second half. So, yeah. uh, I, I think with catchers, it's just it, it's a volatile position. It, it's hard. There's a lot of injuries and a lot of knickknacks injuries too. Um, Guys like Real Muto and Varsho um, drew a lot of value from their steals, and when the, when the, when that's not there, um, the the overall value I think fades away pretty quickly. Um, especially for a guy like Real Muto, like at his peak, is like a twenty homer hitter. Um, so it, it it's. It's it's an easier fade for me, and I think it's something that I thought about, um, you know, investing more in. But unless there's like a clear value, I think I'm fine shopping and you know hopping on the catcher carousel and trying to get hot with a few of these guys uh, because there's a lot of there's while while the topping guys were were weren't great and there was a lot of quote unquote busts. I think the overall catcher pool, especially towards the end, provides. Uh, some interesting names like, like Shay Langoliers, I think like got up to like 24 homers, like something like the guys like that. Um, yeah. Hebert Ruiz was really good throughout the end of the year. Um, Ryan Jeffers was on fire. Gabriel Francisco Moreno. Alvarez. Started, yeah, yeah. Alvarez. Like it's a deeper player pool than years past. So it is. Um, Bo Naylor was really good. There's, there's, there's some good names um, on the deeper end. So I don't think I'll be, you know, scratching at the bit to get maybe anyone other than Adley uh, in the right situation. Will Smith, too. I think Will Smith is just a really good hitter. Just wasn't the same since he got hurt. Yeah, Adley, just since we're talking about him at 277 average, uh, 84 runs, 80 RBIs is really nice. 20 homers, so just really, really solid from Adley. Uh, Real Muto did have the 16 steals. The next highest catcher was at 8. Uh, but yeah, 252 average, 20 homers, 16 steals. Like it's good, but for where you were getting him at pick 27 and his counting stats with the runs and RBIs was just 133 total. Um, so yeah, with all the points you're bringing up, Steve, without ADP in front of us, Real Muto was going at pick 27. Do you think that turns into, I'll throw a dart at the over under of pick. 70. Do you think he'll be pricier, take... pricier than 70? Yeah, maybe. 
just because I, I think he'll probably be like the second or third catcher behind like Adley and Will Smith. And that'll probably um, be, yeah, and the steals be are, are a nice value. Um, the lineup context is good. Um, but yeah, I, I'll take, I'll take the under, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if I was wrong. There. So that's why it'll be out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting into, do we want to do we want to hit on pitchers right now, Steve? Let's do let's do the pitchers uh, after our values when when we uh, go go through that list there. Okay, so moving moving to hitter values is that where we want to go? Or, or I think we we have two more names here, right? Uh, MH two and Eloy. Oh yeah, Eloy, and actually Goldie, plus, we yeah. skipped over Goldie. So and Goldie, Goldie yeah. was one ADP twenty four player rater at sixty nine. Uh, Michael Harris second ADP 31 player rater at 100 but we talked about Harris last mm-hmm. week and we kind of like what what was going on in the second half there yeah and I think a lot of that was derived from his horrible first two months and I don't think it's fair to label him a bust yep and then Eloy definitely a bust ADP 66 player rater 264 and this was this is one that I'm I'm falling on the sword on this one I was so pumped about Eloy last season Same. He was uh, OF1 parachute, if you will, and uh, did not work out for Eloy. So Maybe should have been easier to see as a bust, just with the injury history, um, the up-and-down nature of his production and shapes of his stat line. Um, has, to le- has to lead the league in solo shots as well. One of the most annoying things yeah. about Eloy is every time he homered, it was like a, a solo shot. Just and, and I guess it was pretty hard to predict a dumpster fire that the White Sox would be this year. A lot of people like them uh, coming into this year. There was a lot of reasons to like them. Um, so maybe that was a little bit out of his control. But maybe not as surprising as it should have been, uh, considering the draft day helium um he just cannot cannot stay healthy yeah the bad news was like his, his barrel rate was was a 9.3 percent this year last year it was a 14.7 so like that's where just the stuff that we typically look at the, there mm-hmm. wasn't really a, a path to seeing this because when you look at his his overall line like he only played 120 games which is the injury stuff you're talking about steve but 18 homers in 120 games like it's not it's definitely not great or or even good but it, it's not horrible but then like yeah it just kills me that 64 RBIs 50 runs but 272 batting average he was just kind of like a singles guy which isn't what you want there so uh and then Harris we talked about Goldie that was another one that we liked and, and I know the Cardinals similar story with the dumpster fire uh but yeah Goldschmidt was like okay um, just not where we wanted in that like late second round. The stuff under the hood still looks really good for Goldie, but he'll be an age thirty-seven season, and yeah, coming off the three seventeen year, came down to MVP. a two sixty-eight average. The homers went from thirty-five homers down to twenty-five homers. Uh, he did have the eleven steals, but just kind of ho-hum without being like a plus-plus average because this was the first time in three seasons that he wasn't flirting with the 300 batting average. So, yeah. Uh, sorry, Steve. I know you had plenty of shares, and mm-hmm. he's a Cardinal, so I, I feel apologetic. But what do you think about Goldie moving forward? Like, will you buy the dip if he falls into, like, middle of the four, fourth round, early fifth round? 
kind of like a ADP pick 50 to 60 range? I mean, the last time that this happened back in 2019, the first um, year with the Cardinals when he had an 822 OPS, um, I, I think a lot of people thought that that was the beginning of the end, but then he followed it up with, you know, two really good seasons and then an incredible MVP season in his age 35 season, right? Um, so I'd be hesitant to fully write it, write it off and say that this is who he is now and he's a low 800 OPS guy and at, at, at first base that's, you know, not something that's super appealing. But like you said, the underlying data still is pretty good. Like he has a 93rd percentile hard hit percentage. Um, he still barrels the ball really well. Um, you know, doesn't, doesn't strike out that much, although it did go up a bit this year, um, which is a little concerning. Um, he did walk uh, a, a good amount um, to counteract that, but I don't know if I would expect a, a bounce back to what we saw the last three years, but I could see something similar to like his 2019 season where he had, you know, 34 homers and 820 OPS, um, you know, uh, maybe high 20s homers, um, 820 OPS, that sort of thing. I do think um, that, I do think he's, I think it's premature to, to say that he's like now a 265 hitter. Yeah, um, he's just fair. such a good, he, like he's a, he's a great baseball player, man. He's a great hitter. And like another thing that's nice about Goldie, I don't think it's talked about enough despite his age is he's extremely durable. Like he's played almost every game for, for any season going back to like 2014. Like he, he's just like an iron man and he's been stealing more the past three seasons. So while yeah, he, he's going to be, 37 I think that if you just look at like his actual health and range and athleticism and you know he's super fit and in shape and he plays first base so he's not like an outfielder or anything like that like I I think I'm going to be interested on the bounce this year um that's he's played 145 games in every single year but his career except for one and in the short season, he played 58 of 60. That's what uh, I'm saying. Like, this so guy's an Ironman. It's yeah. like, the, yeah. I don't know that his body's slowing down that much when he's still, like, stealing 11 bags at, at 36. So, yeah, we'll see. He but. did sit a bunch down the end, down the stretch for, like, a back injury, too. So, maybe that was hampering him. Yeah. Um, you know, he was really good in, like, April and May. Um, and then had a few sluggish months in, like, July and August that, you know, you sort of saw that OPS trickle down from like, you know, the 860, 850 range to the 810s, you know, yeah. flirting with 800. Um, so maybe there was something lingering there. Uh, a, a too early call here is is round five. I'm all over it. Round cool. four, I, like uh, I might I like be it. like thinking about it. But if it, if it goes yeah. that far, I'm in. If you don't have first base when you're sitting there in round five, yeah, it, that's tempting. Yep. Okay. Well, we got. Uh, the values on on the more positive side of the coin, and then we'll kind of have a, a dedicated pitcher segment. But we're going to take our second ad break, and we'll be right back. Okay, so Steve, uh, you know we got 
real quick, because uh, I know we got a whole sidebar for pitchers, but I did want to bucket that there were some pitchers whose, whose ADP we were on the record loving that included Blake Snell, Zach Eflin, Justin Steele. Uh, Snell's ADP was 109. Rasball Player Raider finished 18th. Zach Eflin, ADP 267. Rasball Player Raider, 21st. Justin Steele, ADP 305. Player Raider, 28th. And that was a name that probably on this very show last year we were talking about Steele quite a bit. And Snell is a second half bounce back. So, yeah, we'll talk more about pitchers in a little bit. But I think goes to what we were saying on recent shows that once we start hammering the the mighty middle of pitching, ADP goes out the window that we got to get more of the guys that we love because some of these turn out to be league winners. So uh, quick note on that. Anything to, to add or do we want to table pitchers? I feel like the, these were all yeah. uh, names that you love, man. Uh, uh, I, I think we're going to have to focus on them again. And I think it's a great area to shop and, and just shows the value. Um, and we even talked about Kyle Bradish a lot on the show because of, yep. you know, Sarah's and his love for him. Um, and his ADP was even later than all of these guys. Um, so, you know, identify those guys. We're going to identify those guys again. And, you know, a year from now, we're probably going to be talking about this section again, because that's just how, you know, pitching sort of works. It's easy to identify, uh, guys who are undervalued and yeah there's going to be some market helium on a lot of these guys like you know justin Steele, you know was a, a, a target of a lot of people for a reason blake snell same same with eflin uh, there are going to be articles on these guys and you know twitter threads and everything like that but they're going to be good and guys that you should target for for your pitchers Yep, spot on. And Ray's going to Ray because there was also uh, Jeffrey Springs and Drew Rasmussen. So. I think at one point yeah, with Eflin, yeah. we were just like, yeah, the Rays signed him. So we're in. So <laughs> right. like, I'm sure there'll be a guy that, that we signed with that, that signed with the Rays. And yep, good curveball. That's uh, And he's with the Rays. Move him up 100 picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next group of the big values, kind of in line with what we were talking about earlier, but uh, speedsters, guys that have a high speed ceiling. We saw it with Corbin Carroll. 53 ADP, fifth on the player Raider. Nico Horner, 139 ADP, 36th on the player Raider. Uh, Lane Thomas, I think he slowed down quite a bit. Um, did he have an injury second half? I'm trying to think. but uh, I don't think he did, but he did slow down at least average-wise in the second half. I know he had a few homers towards the end there, too. Gotcha. I sort of salvage it. But, uh, but he was uh, not one. Not that I recall yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah, ADP for Lane Thomas at 326 in the player Raider. He finished 24th. And then C.J. Abrams, your boy, Steve, ADP 247, player Raider 57th. So, uh, you know, it's going to get pricier for these actual names. But I think for next next year, like we were talking about um, with, like, the caught stealing metrics and stuff, for the guys who, who you could kind of squint and see them grabbing 40, 50 bags, like – it has a huge impact when you can get some of those guys at this much of a discount. Um, so yeah, speed ceiling is a group to target. Uh, kind of the the flip side of the the pitchers who ADPs we loved is the hitters and the guys we had talked about or that the industry was kind of you know rumbling about. Matt Olson was one that I, I know Steve early on last season. Both of us were talking about quite a bit. An ADP of thirty nine finished second on the player radar. 
Christian Walker, very similar mold. I think we might have talked about like a pick this, not that. You could have gone with either one, but Christian Walker's ADP 124, 34th on the player rater. Fun seeing Walker do his thing in the postseason, by the way, as a footnote. Uh, and then Yandi Diaz, I will not forget because I've been in on him for years, seeing an Alex Fast tweet uh, about a week before my draft that was like, why are we not talking enough about how Yandi Diaz has improved his launch angle, will will hit every day against both lefties and righties, and he's leading off for the Rays or whatever it was. 273 on ADP, the player Raider finished 45th. So those were guys that we were talking about. And again, I think it just goes to show like, if not just us, not we're not just talking about like who we got calls right, but for any of you guys, like if you're loving an ADP on a guy, don't become a prisoner of like having to get him in that round. Like you can you can climb up around early for some of these guys, and it does work out if if all the reasons are there. So uh, anything to add on, on those guys, Steve? No, I think it's a great point. Um, the more I think about C.J. Abrams, the, the, the more I think that he is just going to be like an insanely highly drafted player. Um, he has like the perfect storm of being like a top prospect, putting in speed with power and you know contributions in other categories, and like finally breaking out. Um, and I'm hoping that it's not going to price me out of him. Um, but it, it just it's just super interesting to see. Um, you know, I, I was hoping that maybe he would be like a Corbin Carroll type value, but I, I don't think he'll be drafted around pick 50. I think it'll be much higher than that. Wow. Um, but yeah, that's Walker. What that, that, that's what I already yeah. guessed for what it's worth. Walker was was like the, the main theme of us trying to like remind ourselves. Like we love Walker and what he did at the end of the year and like everything under the hood screamed that it was legit. And it was, and yeah, there's things like like that fast calls out with the Andy Diaz. Like there, there's great points to be made and and, and values to be had uh, that way. So it just uh, it goes to show, you know, that there's a lot of smart people that point out a lot of great things that you need to pay attention to. For sure. And, and final bucket here before we wrap the show with pitchers. Just kind of lump this into like throwing your hands up, anyone's guess. Yeah, we spent time on some of these names. Uh, we can get into it, but when you look at them as a group, it's like who could have known they they would do what they did? Mm-hmm. And that's Cody Bellinger. Uh, is this even right, man? His ADP was 182. Might yeah. need to fact check that. And his Rasball player rater, 17th on the season. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, especially if you remove April, was probably like a top 10 hitter or player in all of fantasy, but ADP of 327, finished the season 33rd on the player Raider. Nick Castellanos, that might be one, Steve, that I would lump into your bucket of the uh, post-new environment pressing, nice bounce back, ADP of 120. He had his believers, but I don't think anyone expected him to be a top 40 player, which is where he finished, 37th on the player Raider. And then Josh Lowe, who's kind of a head-scratcher anyway because of the platoon stuff. But when he was hot, there was nobody more consistent on homers and steals. Uh, ADP of 559 and the player Raider, he was 40th. That might be like the best ball MVP of the Mm -hmm. whole year uh, that he did what he did. 
and his ADP was pretty much 600th. So uh, from the grab bag, Steve, any of these that you want to hone in on before we, we close out with pitchers? Josh Lowe is a good example of a, a prospect that was like part of like a Fabapalooza last year. Um, you know, he came up early for a few stints with the Rays and a bunch of people spent a few hundred bucks of their fab on him and he flamed out. So like automatically the industry just like tossed him to the end of the draft at pick 600 and, you know, what do you know? They were still a good player in there. Um, Bellinger, there were a few people, um, Ryan Bloomfield of Baseball HQ put out, who puts out those great bloom boards, um, does a tweet every March where, um, he states that, you know, every season there's since, you know, 2017 or whatever, there's been someone after, you know, ADP 120 or 150 that provides first round value. Um, who is it going to be this year? And there was two or three people that said Bellinger. So there were a few people that were expecting it. Okay. Um, I was not one of them, but maybe, um, you know, a good uh, reminder that, young guys that have won MVPs and they're not too far past um, shouldn't be given up on that, that there's that many players like that. Like, uh, you know, I can't really think of any off the top of my head other than like Bellinger and Yelich who both had great bounce back seasons. But yeah, uh, Ozuna just was pretty crazy. Like his first another bounce back, another yeah. bounce back. This could be yeah. a bounce back category minus low. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now, like, looking back at it, like, you know, he was really good in the shortened season, pretty good in 2021, uh, or, uh, you know, 2019. Uh, you know, had a really good year in, like, 2017. Like, there's been some really good seasons from, from Ozuna. Uh, I think they're even trying him at first base, maybe not in the playoffs. He, he played there in the split squad game the Braves had um, to warm up for the playoffs. He took grounders there before almost every game for one of their beat riders. So maybe he'll get some first base eligibility next year. Uh, Castellanos, well, I did have him in a few places and was kind of on that, you know, second season breakout there. There is a lot of concerning trends in Castellanos' game, especially in the chasing and swing and missing. So I'm going to have a hard time re-upping on him next year at what is sure to be an elevated cost after he put together a pretty good season. Um, you know, not like the unbelievable run that he had with the Cubs or, or Reds-type seasons, but it was still really respectable. Um, good counting stats there for Castellanos. Like that's booing his value a lot, especially since he got close to 30 homers and had double-digit steals, but may not be in at him. Was in at him at ADP 120? I don't think I can be in at him at ADP like 80, where I think he's going to go uh, mm-hmm. this this offseason. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Last note on, on Josh Lowe, just to close out from the theme we were talking about earlier with like steals versus caught stealing. 32 steals for Josh Lowe. Caught only three times, and that's with a two ninety two average and 20 homers. He actually p- played 135 games. I wonder if some of that was, like, pinch hitting. Yeah. Um, but and, yeah, and maybe yeah. if the Rays start to play him more consistently versus left-handing pitching, if he could hold his own a little bit there. I mean, it's um, not it's not dreadful. Like, a, like a, a 713 OPS isn't good, um, and the Rays are going to ray not on that. It's not roster. But. It's not not playable, right? I know, man, especially when – if. He's like a 40, 50 steal type of guy. But yeah, yeah that's that's an interesting group for sure. Uh, Steve, I've been talking a lot. Uh, I'll let you take lead on on the pitcher's breakdown because, uh, yeah, we've kind of held off on them until now for the, the year-end recap. But 
talk to me about the pitching landscape and what you were kind of seeing from the the auction calculators. So, um, for some reason, the the Raswell player radar, I just couldn't find, I, I don't know, whatever, whether it's, there's like an innings minimum total or something I have to play around with. But um, for this, I use the uh, the ADP, so the top 16 pictures by ADP, and then their Fangraphs auction calculator dollar value just plugged into their standard 5x5 five five setting, so the amount of dollars that they produced. Um, and the overall theme here is that top, 16 pitchers were not a good investment. Yes, there were some good players. Garrett Cole returned $48, like $17 ahead of the next best player, Spencer Strider, who was 31. And those were the two and three pitchers off the board, which you're happy with either of those. But I don't know if anyone was really... I know Burns like had a decent season and there were some rough stretches he ended up figuring out, but overall he returned $21. If that was my first round pick... No, maybe only Vlad was the the other pick, or 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 like if Trout went in the first round, that that might have been worse. Um, you know, Turner was looking worse for you know the first three months of the season, but he basically salvaged the season with the last two months with, with what he did. Um, Alcantara was negative eight point six dollars. Degrom wasn't even on the list because he barely even played. Nola returned two point six dollars. Woodruff eighteen point five, which is Pretty good considering he only threw what like seventy innings. Mm-hmm. Verlander sixteen point six dollars. McClanahan ten dollars. Scherzer fourteen dollars. Dylan sees negative twenty five point six dollars. Like if you're like, all right, I'm gonna wait and I'm not gonna take the the super race, but I'm gonna take Dylan Cease, um, a guy that I've liked in the past. Like, uh-huh. or, or you know, or if you waited and took one of the next two guys, Dylan uh, Shane Bieber or Christian Javier, you got a combined negative fourteen a uh, fifteen dollars from those two. Bieber was negative five, Javier negative ten. Like, yes, Wheeler and Castilla were awesome, but you know, Julio Rice returned one dollar. It's basically if you want to be generous and say that okay, fine, you're fine with Scherzer's like fourteen dollars or or Woodruff's eighteen or McClanahan's ten, even um, because you know he got hurt towards the end. It's basically a fifty fifty mm-hmm. investment, um, and that's just not something. I'm not interested in a coin flip that early on. Sure, I don't think Cole or Strider or even like, you know, Burns will be a coin flip. Um, if you want to go for one of those three guys, go right ahead. But after that, um, with with whoever those names are going to be this year, I think it'll still be a coin flip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my SP1 in a lot of leagues was was Gossman, and he was great from a strikeout standpoint mm-hmm. that the ratios mm-hmm. he suffered along with the rest of the league on, you know, kind of regressing from what he did last year. I think the only way I'm going to touch any of, of this group is, again, if in like one of my leagues, I just want to go for a boom-bust strategy and go Cole Strider just to see what happens if everyone else is getting hit by these grenades of these early round guys do I just want to place the bet that Garrett Cole and Spencer Strider will be who we expect them to be and just pray for health. But yeah, it's, it's daunting. And yeah, there's availability, you know, like I mentioned earlier with Nick's tweet on just the ability for these guys to stay on the field. And then there's the booby traps on, on performance, which is frightening. And there is definitely a spot where you get to, ADP 130 or something and all the bats dry up 
and all the pitchers, you're like, oh man, I wish I could grab three of these guys. And you want your roster to be constructed in a way that matches with the, the deep spots of, of the draft for, for positions. So yeah, I think it's going to be more of, of following the, the Steve Giswelli playbook for me next year. Um, and it starts with the, the PL mock draft, but I think a lot of people are going to be doing that same formula. So it'll be really interesting when we see, uh, I don't know, Zach Wheeler available in like the fifth round, which you know won't be the case in industry leagues. But I think our, our PL mock will probably skew toward hitters early because we know we're going to get grilled by Nick. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But um, man, some of these, honestly, like, we talked about it, Steve, but Javier was like the biggest shock uh, mm-hmm. for us. I'm trying to think if there's any other ones that just like performance-wise. Cease? I mean, Cease was... Yeah, Cease was one. I, in yeah. the PL mock last year, I went, I double-tapped uh, Strider and Cease at 3-4, and I was like, yeah, trying to get guys on the on the ascent, but that's a prime example of mm-hmm. 50-50. So, yep. Yep. Uh, so that's that's pitching. We'll be talking all off season, but we'd much rather grab from the group like we talked about earlier with Snell, Eflin, and Steele, which is easier said than done. But at least you're investing, you know, an eighth round. I, and I think there's smart ways to go about it too. Like Gaussman was a was a good call. Um, you know, trying to find identify the Gaussman Castillo's gallons and avoiding, um. You know the Julio Urias, Christian Javier, Shane Bieber, Dylan Cease. Like there were some red flags with Cease with the walk rate and Bieber with the velocity and just sort of yeah. downtrend from. <clears throat> For sure, things. I I think that's a really good point, Steve. Because Manoa was another one that throughout like early last season, it, it, or early last off season, I remember being like, "What's the big deal with Manoa? Like, yeah, he's a good pitcher, but like the K's aren't there, and you've already got risks." And it's it's kind of a theme of like any pitcher this early has risk regardless. So if you're going to grab a guy, you better be very confident in their stuff Mm -hmm. and their situation. Like, like Julio Arias is another prime example of like, and and Sandy Alcantara, honestly, like we all got excited about the the volume and everything, but I I don't want a guy who doesn't have a 30% like K rate. In yeah. the top seven, you could have picks. been led to Christian Javier though, just as easily though, right? Yeah, so, and, and that's fine. Over. I think that's process. Yeah. Like I'm, yep. I'm, a, I'm more okay with Agreed. Javier, but Cease Agreed. was too steep on ADP. Like that should have been a, from a process standpoint, a draft this, not that. On like, don't get Cease, just get Javier. And yeah, mm-hmm. he missed. Who could have predicted that his K rate would drop ten points or whatever it was? But yeah, that's. I think the the way to do it is look for guys who had bad luck who have great stuff and and there's a discount on their price and let that be your sp1 but otherwise stay away so um yeah it'll be a grind per usual and i can't even get it'll be fun to uh identify the guys that we like um at value for for pitchers so looking forward to doing it all off season yeah, it, it won't be long. We've got we still got chalkboard bold predictions, and we'll definitely have yep, the, but we'll, the PL we'll mock. Uh, but we'll get we'll get to SP values we love in short order. Yeah. But that wraps us up, guys, for episode 120. Uh, again, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Wins Above Pod. I'm at Van underscore Verified. Steve is at Stav eight eight one eight. 
We'll take next week off. We'll be back the week after. Uh, until then, enjoy the playoffs. Thanks for talking baseball with us. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the playoffs. We got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. And just Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.